Hey, this is Regan Bach, Managing Partner at Better Faster Further. And I wanted to take a second to welcome you to the Better Faster Further podcast. Whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us since the beginning, we're so thankful that you're here. We know that time is limited and we truly appreciate each and every one of you and want to thank you for listening. Hey everyone, this is Adam Odosky. I'm part of the core team at Better Faster Further and co-host of the podcast. With every episode, we'll feature inspiring stories from bright business minds, accomplished athletes, and inspiring leaders. We'll provide insights, tools, and takeaways to help you expand your capacity. We'll also take it a step further and really try to uncover the deep, hard to reach, and often unexplored places of the human experience. Things like overcoming obstacles, failure, facing fears, pushing through the hard stuff, and ultimately highlighting the growth, opportunity, and lessons learned that comes from choosing the path less traveled. As a serial entrepreneur and now executive coach, ultra endurance athlete, and health coach, I know these discussions are worth their weight in gold. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our Better, Faster, Further podcast number 10. We, uh, we made it to double digits. Congratulations. I am sitting here in Marin County in Northern California. I am super excited about our guest today. As usual, I have my esteemed colleague, Adam Odosky, sitting in Salida, Colorado. Adam, how are you? Doing well, Regan. Good morning. How are you? Doing fantastic. Our guest today is a very dear friend of mine. I have known her for 18, maybe 20 years. I lose track of time and has been a good chunk. Uh, her name is Lisa Cavanaugh. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing great. Super happy to be here with you too. I am thrilled to have you. I've been wanting to, to make this happen since the, the podcast number one. So thanks for joining us. I've known Lisa for a long time. She happens to be married to my best friend, Eric Westberg, who I grew up with in Durango, Colorado. Lisa and Eric are godparents to my oldest daughter. Um, and we've had just some of the best times of our life, uh, of my life together with them. They, they play a very central role in, in, in our life and um, very excited to have you on board. She also happens to be just a badass on the work front and the, and the play side. So she has literally spent time all over the world. She grew up kind of all over the world. Uh, she got a computer science degree back in the day, as they say in quotes, from UC Santa Barbara. She joined HP for a stint right out of school, and then shortly thereafter got an engineering role at AskJeeves.com, which over time morphed into Ask.com. We'll get more into that stint in her life because it, it's um, th th there's a lot of good stories that come out of that. But she went from an engineer to an engineering manager, then a VP of technology. From there, jumped to be the SVP of technology. Finally, achieved the title of CTO. So she was the chief technology officer at Ask.com when that was kind of a, a rocket ship and there was a lot going on in just the search space. And again, we'll get into that. And during that same period of time, while she was CTO, she also took on the chief product officer role. So in theory, playing two executive roles at the same time. Again, highs and lows associated with doing that much work, but excited to hear more about it. Let's see. She's a true global citizen. She holds U.S. passports and EU passport. She splits her time between California, Mexico, Portugal, and they always are picking somewhere new and exciting to travel speaks multiple languages, and of course is, is well known for throwing just amazing costume parties. Um, again, always up for a good time. She's also the founder of a coaching uh, company called Rebel X Labs and is co-founder of Surf Your Soul Retreat, 
which is a week-long retreat in Mexico where women come to reconnect with both nature and themselves by learning how to surf and doing group coaching workshops, which is super cool. I think you've done four of them, five of them to date. Since 2018. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll hear more about that as well. Lisa is currently in uh, Sayulita, Mexico, where she spends a good chunk of her time. I would say that's more home than anywhere else for you these days. Is that correct? That's yeah, that's, that's right. Well, Lisa, thank you for taking time on your busy schedule to join us. Truly appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to um, get to spend time with you. And I'm super excited to dive in on some of the topics today. Yeah, I'm super excited too. I'm super um, honored to be here. And you married us. You missed that part about our, our how, how interwoven we are. You, we chose you. <laughs> yep. It's all a blur, but so much fun. I, I, I remember that day very, very well. Well, Let's get into it. I think, you know, again, Lisa, I, I always consider you first and foremost, just a near and dear friend, but on the, on the personal side and the professional side, you, you've, you've had quite an eventful kind of tour. And I think that folks would um, get a lot of benefit out of hearing some of, you know, the backstory around, you know, not only what you did, but how you got here, what you're doing now and what you're looking forward to doing in the future. But maybe we can kind of just start in the beginning and, and give us a sense of kind of your upbringing and, where you grew up and what that led to, and, and then some of the professional journey as well. Hmm, where to start? I guess the beginning, right? Um, I, was, I was born in Italy. I lived a lot of places. Before turning 18, I lived in Italy, Texas, Michigan, and Alaska, mostly because of my, my parents' work. My parents divorced when I was five, and my mom and I, my mom went to medical school as a single mom, which was a pretty big uh, deal. She was in her 30s. Um, and also, a, I think, a big... Uh, shaping for me in terms of what was possible in terms of pivoting your life and starting over and being brave and courageous. Yeah, I went to junior high and high school in Fairbanks, Alaska, and there's lots of stories there. Um, Ended up going to school in UC Santa Barbara and uh, studying computer science there upon the, the urging of my of my father. Um, he was like, this is the future. You know, if you get this degree, you can write your ticket. And, and in a lot of ways, he was he was right. As a freshman, I majored in psychology, and then I shifted into computer science my sophomore year, coming full circle later, which we'll, we'll kind of get to that part of my journey, um, to being a coach. I really felt like you know, my, my curiosity, my interest in the human condition, what makes us behave the way we do, it makes us tick, you know, sort of the interest was there early on, and um, it, I, I sort of came back around to it. But I think that all that moving around as a kid made me highly adaptable. I feel like I can kind of be thrown into any situation and connect and make friends and kind of navigate my way around. And so while it was difficult to be the new kid a lot as a youngster, I think it really paid off later in terms of life skills and leadership skills, being able to connect and read very different cultures and and, um, environments. Let's see. Yeah, I studied computer science at Santa Barbara and I was recruited out of school to work at HP, as you mentioned. I moved to Portland or Vancouver, Washington, which is kind of a second... no offense to anyone who lives in Vancouver. I was going to say the less sexy version of Portland, <laughs> but uh, it was really sexy, and then I didn't pay any uh, any income tax. But I, and I I worked on inkjet printer software there for several years. While, while that didn't really like light me up necessarily, being held and mentored in a company the size of HP that really believed in mentorship and really had lots of services and support systems um, was a really great place to land as a newbie. And so I learned a lot around about what it looks like to be a good mentor from this amazing mentor I had, Miller Miller Lowe, what an organization of that size 
can look like. And it was, it was really, it felt really healthy when I was there. It's now we're like 2001 and I, I met a man, your, your bestie. And I moved to San Francisco. I got a job at, at ask what was then ask Jeeves, the Butler, the British Butler, um, from a contact, um, at UC Santa Barbara. And I started off there as, you know, a two year out of school Java. Oh, actually at that point we were doing, um, we were doing C sharp development. Um, on a .NET stack, was uh, lucky enough to then get to rewrite that whole platform two years later in Java. And so I learned a lot from from getting to kind of build the same thing twice um, and build on those improvements and learn those different languages. But yeah, and then I, you know, I sort of quote unquote climbed the ladder there, but it never really felt like that was what I was setting out to do. <laughs> it just was, there was so much change and so much opportunity and I was lucky to get to grow with it. One of the one of the roles that you, you you kind of had me in your in your summary jump from senior manager to VP, which would have been impressive. But I did some things in between, and one of the things I did was I uh, went into project management. And I think I've always sort of naturally been a project manager. I'm the kind of person that sort of you know takes the lead. Even I think in like kindergarten, back when we were labeled bossy, right? I'm like, let's do it this way. What I loved about that role was I loved like the bringing of the teams together. I loved getting to see the, the, you know, having to interact with the different functions in the organization with marketing, with PR, with finance, with sales to really get to see the lay of the land and to see how it all came together. Um, and I think that was what really sparked my interest for wanting to take on more of a, a leadership role and bigger decisions and more impact and, and a broader scope across the organization. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I remember that, that window of time of, you know, it was, it was busy, but you were, you were having a lot of fun and, and like, just, you know, I don't know if the right word is experimenting, but there was just a lot to do, a lot of activity. I remember that time and just not only in the Bay area, but just in, in, in California, there was just a buzz of people doing cool things. And, and, and that area was kind of a hot area in, in tech at the time and a lot of great talented people coming in and out and also getting to partner with like, you know, it was a big enough organization where you've got finance people and strategy people and tech people and sales people. And, and, and you are, have always been really talented at just being able to kind of be a chameleon and morph and be able to connect with people and, and bring people together. And yeah. And you were my first coach during that time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have the title to warrant budget from the organization. This is before coaching became uh, more ubiquitous, and people were re- re- appreciated that the, if you can coach folks earlier in their management career, they're not going to develop a bunch of unhealthy habits. And so I, I paid out of pocket to get my first coach, Regan Bog. <laughs> the other thing is like not to date us too much, but you know, getting a computer science degree as a female back then also a little bit unorthodox or, or, or early in, in, in that whole kind of time. And did, did it feel that way? Like, were you one of a few females in the, in the room at the time? And, and did that stand out to you in the moment? I mean, I think I was literally one of four women in my, in the program. And sadly, you said to date us, but sadly, those numbers have not improved very much in terms of females in STEM. And so that's something I've been really passionate about over the years in terms of, um, in terms of boosting, but yes, it, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I think it was really motivating for me. I wanted to get that degree. I wanted to not be someone that, that gave up or was weeded out, you know, in the hard parts. And, you know, I came into this, you know, this is really dating me though, but I came into college, like 
having had like a word processor in high school. Like, I didn't even have a computer. And I, some of these kids in my class had like hacked, you know, government systems literally. And so I was like, I had a lot of catching up to do. But I was really motivated by the challenge. I've always been motivated by doing something really hard and by getting to like, you know, kind of ring that bell, summit that peak at that gold star for better or worse. That's motivated me. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I'm going to be a female software engineer. I'm going to get this degree. And that's really badass. So you're doing project management and senior roles at Ask.com at the time. And obviously, you know, you know, managing people and managing managers. And, you know, it sounds like during that window of time, it wasn't like you went out and said, I'm going to become the CTO of an organization. It was just these opportunities and, and you working hard and obviously being smart and capable. But there's a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure, a lot of stuff that comes with that. So, so continue to kind of give us your professional arc during the Ask Jeeves or the Ask.com window of time. It's interesting because I definitely never had my sights on being a CTO or any C-level, to be honest. But I was really passionate about being good at what I did and about other people being able to count on me, want me on their team, yeah, just making it a better place for those that I was working with. And so I've always been really relationship driven. And I've had people ask me in the past, like, you know, what do you see as like the kind of the the secret to like growth or taking on bigger roles? And I, and I just, to me, it's always been about relationships. I've always, it's always been about helping people when I can. And then those having that credit in the bank, if you will, right. When, when I needed that support and I was lucky that I found some people. I mean, I kind of grew up there at Ask. I was there for 12 years. And um, I was really lucky to work with some amazing people that are still like family um, to me. And some of them were really ambitious. And I sort of made myself indispensable. (laughs) Um, Looking at you, Scott Kim. And, you know, when they were taking on bigger and bigger roles, they did that knowing he did that, knowing that like, if he took me with him, I was going to do a really good job and take on a big chunk of what was on his plate. Right. And so I wrote, I kind of, we moved to the organization almost as like a little crew um, of people that worked really, really well together and supporting each other in each other's growth. Yeah. I still use you as an example. I don't, I don't name drop you as much, but I'm like, I, you know, your style, if I remember correct, was like very affiliative, is very relationship based. And, and like, you can get a lot of work done by building karma credits with people and people will like go the extra mile for people that care about them and that they care about. And like, to be able to like, build up credit, if you will, and then be able to pull on that sometimes and be like, I need you to make this Herculean effort for me, but it's, they want to do it, they do do it, but it's like, it gets you through the hard times. And I just remember you having, you know, Obviously, you have a lot of skills and such as well, but on the on the management side, on the leadership side, being very relationship based, and you know, I, I think that's an outlier for somebody to be a affiliative based CTO. Is you know, oftentimes they are highly technical, but lacking a lot of the you know emotional quotient and the EQ required to have the the person you know the the, the people skills. And so, I think again, that's a it's kind of an outlier role for somebody that's kind of hardwired in some of the ways that you are. And I think you did a phenomenal job in, in utilizing it. it. It shows that you don't have to be that, you know, bank hacker in getting into government systems, you know, in, in grandma's downstairs basement to, to become one of those people. Yeah. And I coach a lot of CTOs right now on finding their relationship superpower. When I interrupted you, you said like, oh yeah. And I used to joke about something. 
Oh, I was gonna say, I used to joke that like I was sort of thrown every quarter was like getting thrown and like doing a graduate degree and something that I had no idea was coming around the corner. It was just such fast paced growth that you didn't really have a chance to sit back and go, hmm, what do I want out of this? It was just like, boom, like, you know, you know, fire hose. I owe a lot of that skill building to the time that I spent as a project manager. Because as a project manager, people, nobody reports to you, right? You can't say do it because I told you so, which is not something you should say anyway. But like, you know, you don't have the the authority necessarily, right? To And so it's really, it has to be relationship-based. People have to do things because they want to <laughs> and they, and they want to do it for you, right? And the, because they feel like you're, you're part of something together. And so that relation, I feel, I felt, I always have felt that that, Stint, stint as a project manager was a huge, huge training ground for me as a manager in terms of getting, you know, motivating folks. That's awesome. For better, or for worse, like by, by, by choice and design or just by opportunistic, you know, windows of, of, of opportunity, you're, you lift your head up one day and you're like CTO of ask.com. Yeah. And then also, you know, before that I had held two VP positions for different parts of the business, which was a crazy thing to do. And then, you know, and then I was CTO and for a year of that time, I was, I was holding the chief product officer at the same time. And so there was a lot of really great things of that time in my life. And I'm, it's, I'm, I owe a lot of wonderful things that came after to that. And there was also some, some not so great things about that time. And one of them was that I was so driven to do a good job and to be great and to have the gold star and the hero heroes cape, the superwoman cape that I, I totally had no concept of boundaries and, and saying no, like I, I didn't say no to anything. You want this position? You know, we think this would be great for you. Yes, I'll do it. And and I, and it was never a yes. And here's what I'm going to need to be successful. It was just like, I was going to just give and give and give and give from this, endless well of energy that I thought I had, which is not the way the human body works. And so I just kept saying yes, until I ended myself up in the hospital from with stress induced ulcers, because it was my body had been giving me signals, you know, being like, Hey, this is too much, slow down, you know, and create some space for yourself. You know, don't, no, no, don't need to be always on, always answering. And eventually, you know, your body will keep shouting loud enough and louder and louder and louder. And it will win in the end. If you don't pay attention, um, it'll take you down. And so it was a huge wake up call to me, not only in terms of, you know, starting a journey, a healing journey of tuning into my body and getting to, to heal it. I mean, I was, I was actually diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is um, an autoimmune disease of the gut. And so that began a huge healing journey for me, but it was a huge wake up call of like observing myself you know, things that my husband, my friends had been mirroring to me, but I wasn't wanting to, I didn't want anything. I didn't want to hear it. And so it was, yeah, a huge wake up call of like, what am I doing? Like, is, what is this, what is this actually for? Like, is this worth it? And I was committed to, to staying until a certain date. I had made a commitment and I was going to stay true to that. And there was incentives around that. But I, so I had a period of time where I really needed to learn how to keep myself out of this red flare zone. And I, I was never going to get to like the green in that period of time, but to manage it enough that I could kind of make it through this commitment without another physical breakdown. So that's where I learned. That's where I was introduced to meditation, a lot of coaching, you know, therapy, 
really focusing on an exercise, a physical trainer, right? Just like all the things I, I thought I, um, all the things I put in place to try to help me at least stay more in an orangey yellow area than a red. <laughs> well, like, I think, you know, one of the times that we were chatting, right, I, I, I remember you saying, you know, for a lot of people getting diagnosed with anything like that is obviously very scary and could be seen as like a, as a bad thing, but you were like, it, it was actually a blessing because it, it forced you to kind of tap into that innate intuitive, intuitive ability to like, toggle between red and orange and green. It was like a, you know, it was like an eye-opening moment and, and a forcing function for you to tap into quote unquote getting healthy. And that's on the physical front. I, I could only assume that, you know, which doesn't get talked about as much, having that much responsibility on the mental side is really, really just tough as well. I mean, those are big roles and 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 given the way, you know, part of your superpower is to be a go-getter and an achiever and a performer and you are smart and people do like you and you know, all that stuff. But then you lift your head up one day and you're like, there's just no more, there's no more gas in this tank. And, and so like getting that, that's like a shot across the bow that you just have to do something different. So, you know, on the physical side, you're starting to like do the therapy and the exercise and the, you know, the mindfulness and, and, and all that. What else kind of stands out to you in that window of time? It was just like these big ahas or, 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 you know, shifts in your life. I mean, there were so many. I think it was a time when I, this might sound really, I don't know how this comes off, but I, I had really never like denied myself anything before that. And part of my, I could kind of get away with a lot in terms of like food and whatever. And and during my healing journey, I had to also make some really radical changes to my, to my diet and to my alcohol consumption, lots of other things in order to be able to to handle the stress. So what I've learned about my body is that is that like there's almost like a dashboard and to stay out of a flare state I have to keep my inflammation down, right? And so there's stress which for me is like 80% of it and then there's there's diet and there's all these other things. And so like I had to really crank those other things down because some of the level of stress I just couldn't make go away. At that time in that I mean we were also going through like major layoffs. There was just like I mean it was a tumultuous time and so there were some things that as long as I was going to hold this role that I, and hold this responsibility there was going to just be some level of you know of not of constant stress. And so for me that diagnosis was empowering because suddenly I re- I was learning what these dials were and how I could change them and so I was suddenly like at choice and and um, empowered to make those decisions versus before it was just kind of just happening to me. I was just like, I was dealing with anxiety. I was dealing with, I was, I got really sick from the ulcers. Right. And I didn't know what I could do to influence that. And so I felt like it was a time of like coming into my own power, coming into my own ownership of my experience and my health. And that was really, really powerful. And eventually I exercised that power and that ownership by, by leaving. I felt like I had gotten things to a good enough place that I could step away. And I decided the, the, the best thing for my health was not just to maintain a kind of an orangey yellow, but to actually get myself to a green, which to me meant I needed to, I needed to leave. How long were you at ask at that point? Like where, where are we in time roughly? We're in 2013 and I started in 2001. So I was 12 years there through many different brands and CEOs and strategies and lots and lots and lots of learning. That's so cool. It was a good run. Lisa, how long was it when you were in the hospital with the ulcers until you actually left ASK? It was a couple of years. 
I say that I probably should have left sooner for my body, but I'm also glad I didn't. I'm glad that I was able to do the things I did there. I'm glad I was able to meet my commitment. You know, that enabled me to do some other things in my life afterwards, take it some time off, which we'll talk about in a minute. And yeah, I learned a lot of tools and strategies by sort of having to stay in it for longer. Did you experience physical changes in your body after you left Ask? I was in almost like a constant, you know, like managing just on the edge of managing a flare state for those years, right? Just like I was taking, I had to take steroids in the beginning, prednisone, and then I was, anyway, it was a a very like fine management line. I quit my job and I did not have another flare for 10 years. I took a year off and, you know, it probably took me six months for my nervous system to start to calm down. To be honest, it was so revved for so long. And I didn't even have a concept of that I had a nervous system or what that meant at the time, right? I've learned so much since then. But like, yeah, I was still like looking back and ruminating and what if this and my identity was so wrapped up still in like who I was as a CTO and that that was the interesting, valuable thing about me, you know, that I was a female, you you know, a woman of color CTO. I mean, it was like less than 1% of us. So yeah, there was a lot of decompressing and like, you know, unraveling and like calming that happened over that year off. I took took a year off and we sold our cars and rented our house and we bought around the world tickets and took a year off to travel around the world. And I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of, yeah, physical healing. And um, since then, I've been very mindful with what I invite into my life and what I say yes to and what I say no to. And a lot of it has to do with the impact it has on my nervous system and my health. Super proud to have gone the you know 10 years flare-free. That's amazing. I mean, it, it really shows what environment right can do. Like the, the choices you make around the, the environment you put yourself in, around the people you surround yourself with. And, and you know, what I find it, it, it's it's kind of like no duh, but it's also like you were making a choice to put yourself in an environment that had a certain level of stress just like associated with it, right? Like the baseline is this much, which kind of in theory decreases your ability to play around with the other stuff. So like if the stress is already going to be a six out of 10, I only have four more choices that I can kind of add things to, whether that's diet or exercise or wh- whatever the algorithm. But by removing yourself from that environment and, and traveling the world for a year, I mean, A, that's awesome that you were able to do it. And it, it, you know, in many ways, I don't want to jump the gun, but it like helped set the stage for the, the journey that you're on now, personally and professionally, which is like getting to continue to find ways to, to do the things that you love to do professionally and get to travel. I mean, it's kind of the, the, the best of both worlds in many ways. Yeah. I, and I just want to like come back to something you just said, because it really resonated with me. You said, you know, you're in it and you were like consciously making a choice to do this. And that meant, you know, these other compromises or these other like, you know, strategies and whatnot. And I think that's really important because mindset is everything, which you know, <laughs> but you know, when you can be in these situations and you can see yourself as like, this is happening to me and I'm a victim and blah, blah. But when you realize that like, no, I can quit you know, my husband was begging me to quit. I could have quit. Right. But like, I'm consciously making a choice to stay in this situation, even though it's really, really hard. And that means I'm going to have to do all these other things. I'm going to have to say yes. I'm going to have to say no to all these other things so that I can say yes to this. Right. And just being in realizing that you're at choice can make such a difference. And, you know, and then obviously making decisions to support that choice it can make such a difference to you physically as well, to your nervous system as well. And so 
I just wanted to underline that because I think it's really important. No matter what situation you're in, if it's just remind yourself that you're choosing this. Thanks for being here, everyone. At Better, Faster, Further, we specialize in helping leaders, teams, and organizations maximize peak performance. Our goal as a business is to help build organizations that execute effectively, to create high-performing teams, and to help leaders bolster their overall capacity. We're unique and we're different. Our real world in the trenches experience comes from building and scaling teams and companies of all sizes. When you partner with Better, Faster, Further, you're not going to get a recent MBA graduate. What you will get is a team with decades of experience coming from industry veterans, academics, and leaders who have been in the most critical roles of startups, growing companies, and enterprise titans. Not only do we make recommendations, but we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty right next to you. We truly believe that organizations are at the epicenter of social change. And by creating positive shifts within those organizations, we create ripple effects that have profound and lasting impacts on communities and society at large. If you want to become a more effective leader, if you want to create a high-performing team, or if you need to scale your company in ways that will stand the test of time, then Better, Faster, Further is for you. Visit our website at betterfasterfurther.com or email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to our discussion. A lot of the coaching that we do with folks in, in, in particular in relation to that topic is there's a huge difference in the mindset of being like in a reactive state where it's like, oh my God, these things are happening to me. I have no control and blah, 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 versus the same environment. But you're like, wait, you, you are making conscious decisions to do these things, put you in a proactive mindset, which that subtle tweak, which is hard to get to sometimes, it, it can be a huge epiphany for people, but changes the whole kind of behavior associated with being there. And um, I mean, that's a huge breakthrough to have. And, you know, obviously it took you years to get to a point where, where, where you were able to, to embrace that, but it's, it's, I mean, that's a big one. Yeah. Huge. Huge. So we, we leave, we, we, we make the conscious decision to, to, to leave ask.com. We're traveling. Where in the world are you and what's going on? Obviously, we're physically feeling better, but you said it took like six, eight months just for your nervous system to, to chill out. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Morocco when I, when I actually felt my energy shift from this looking back, back, back and ruminating, ruminating to shifting forward and being open to what might be next. And to be honest, it was really terrible. I could feel the release of it, which felt great. And I felt lighter, but it was also terrifying because I knew in my gut I wasn't willing to admit it yet, but I knew it took me a couple of years to admit it, but I knew in my gut that I wasn't going back to tech in terms like as a tech leader. And I think part of that was I didn't trust myself to be in the Bay Area at a tech company and not dive into that. Like I, you know, and not have those same behaviors and lose myself again. But I didn't know who I was if I wasn't Lisa Kavanaugh, CTO or you know, blah, blah, blah. And so much of my self-worth and how what I thought people thought was interesting and valuable and special about me was tied to that role. And so I felt very fearful of letting it go and disidentifying. There's a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, identity and ego and, and, and incentive and motivation. And you're getting accolades and you're getting the gold star and the pats on the back and the high fives. And I mean, it's that it, it is very difficult to make a conscious decision to like step away from that, especially when you've been at it for so long. Yeah. 
we, we took a year off and the, the plan was to go back. You know, it was going to take a year of travel. We were in all over Europe. We were in Africa. We were in the South Pacific. It was epic, epic, epic. And the plan was at the end of that to come back to the Bay Area and our kind of fancy Marin life and dust off the resume and do it all over again somewhere. But then as the time got closer, I was like, I just knew I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm not doing that. And so we're in Portugal. We're like walking along this beautiful like seaside boardwalk. And I just sort of float the idea to Eric. I'm like, so what if we just don't go back? What what is that? What might that look like? And he's, and at that time he was running the PMO for a consulting firm. And as a project manager in 2013, he's like, you don't do that remotely. You don't do anything remotely in 2013, but you certainly are not a head of a project management facility. I mean, a capability in in, uh, remotely. And he's like, that sounds great, but you know, we're not at the place where we can retire. Like we we're kind of bleeding money out. How is this going to actually work? And I said, well, just, you know, just give me two months. Like, I'm just gonna just give me two months to figure something out. I'm just gonna get my, I'm gonna get my hustle on. And so he said, okay. And, um, I got some, I did some due diligence work back with ask.com was acquired or ask was acquired by uh, IAC back in the day, which is Barry dealers company out of New York, which has many, many companies within it, a big family of, of companies. And so I, um, because of my relationships, I was able to get some due diligence work. And I was doing kind of doing some like, uh, I wasn't trained as a coach yet, but kind of doing some like mentoring. And then Eric got a a contract for a year long consulting gig. I'm like, okay, we have a year to experiment with this remote work thing and see if we can make this sustainable. And so through that year, I started to feel like, okay, I'm doing this consulting, but I'm kind of still doing this old role. And it's not lighting me up. It still feels not right. And I got really curious about coaching. You know, I had been the beneficiary of on the client side of some amazing coaches through my journey, including you. And that space and that support and that partnership had been such a huge, huge part of my growth and my learning and my decision to leave, to be honest. I valued that work very, very highly. And I started to get curious about what it would be like to be on the other side of it and to serve leaders like me because it's really lonely. It's really, really lonely to serve leaders like me who are struggling to to make an impact and be, and be show up as their best selves, right? Amidst all of the, the stress and the chaos. And so, uh, yeah, I went back to school and I trained with um, CTI, the Coaches Training Institute, and actually did something first, which is sort of a no-no, was I just changed my LinkedIn one day to like advisor, consultant, comma, leadership coach, executive coach. I had someone who I used to work with reach out to me and, and hire me and I coached them and he got promoted. It, it went really well, but I learned really quickly that I was doing a lot of telling and a lot of like advising and mentoring instead of coaching. And so that was an aha moment that, oh, actually, yes, I have a lot of tools and skills, but I also, there's a lot I have to learn about how to do this in a way that is truly coaching. Regardless of what it is, CTI does a really good job of giving people kind of the models and frameworks to be able to operate from, but to be able to be, you know, understand the core premise of coaching, what it is, what it isn't, to be able to have like a methodology to work through. And then like what people don't understand is like as a coach, you are working a process to some degree, right? It's not like just show up and blow up and do whatever we feel like this day, even though in the moment, oftentimes those sessions feel like what's the hot topic that you're, that we're having to work through. But 
there is, you know, to have a, to be grounded in a framework or a process or a methodology is very empowering. And then to your point, there is a big difference between people confuse managing with mentoring or advising with coaching, right? And in theory, you know, I, I kind of see the, the management piece is like the, 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 the blocking and tackling of like the day-to-day stuff within the workplace and performance reviews and whatever it may be, setting expectations. The mentorship and advising is often like you advocating the things you know, sharing your experiences, like here's what I would do. Here's, you know, here's the scenarios that I've been in, but it's really like you in this mode of telling and advocating. Whereas on the coaching end, it's a lot more in theory about being curious, asking questions, creating space, teasing those answers out. And, and helping people kind of come to their own conclusions. And, you know, we find, at least I find that for, for, for us, the sweet spot is when you can bring all of those together. Like there's a time when you just, you, you see the blind spot that the person doesn't see and to like help them through that by doing some telling is perfectly fine. Because if you sit there and only ask questions the whole time, it may take a year for them to like get on board. And like the pace of business sometimes just doesn't accommodate for that. But People do confuse, you know, being a mentor or advising or doing a lot of telling as coaching, and they're just they're, they're, they are different. And they both have a place, and you know, I'd say another thing that's interesting about the coaching piece, which I think it gets confused sometimes with, like, I guess therapy or or or, or just problem solving is the, the coach framework, in my opinion, is very future focused. Right? It's like let's look back and identify what we want to hold on to and let go of, but it's a very future oriented kind of endeavor. Whereas oftentimes with like a therapeutic approach, it's much more of a, let's look back and, and, and figure out what went wrong and what we learned. I'm sorry to go back a little bit, but you mentioned Morocco and I'm curious, was, was there something about Morocco when you were there that, that helped you have that shift? Hmm. I've never thought about that, but the first thing that comes up as you ask that is it was we were moving pretty quickly on our travels, you know, like a week here, a week here, like just kind of like seeing a lot of places, a lot of countries, a lot of flights. And, um, we went to Morocco and, um, we did this like 10 day camel Sahara desert, amazing trek thing. And we were meant to move on from there and go do something else. I can't remember what it was, but we were so tired. We just stopped and we rented a beach house we stayed for like six weeks. And so I'm wondering if like part of this, it was just, we slowed down, right? We slowed down and Eric was surfing a lot and I was doing a lot of journaling. I think I was actually going through the Martha Beck, like finding your North star at that point. I was like doing a lot of like workbook journaling and just sitting on the beach and meditating and stretching. And so I'm, I'm guessing there was an opening there for that shift of just me just being more still. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, it's really interesting to hear that because you mentioned early in our conversation about, you know, even growing up, you were always that person who was like, let's do this, let's do that, you know, let's do it this way or do it that way. And it felt very like fast paced. And so yeah, that's really cool that in Morocco, you had the space and time to just hit the pause button. Yeah, that's like my big work in this life is to slow down. And it's, it's very hard. I mean, you, just the way I speak, right? I speak quickly, like I'm I'm, I'm always like packing things full on to the next thing. I like newness, you know? So my, I feel like a lot of my, my work in this life is to learn how to, how to slow it down and see what comes up when I do that. Yeah. That's a great lesson for all of us. I think. Yeah, absolutely. We call that fast twitch, Lisa. You're like (laughs) fast twitch. (laughs) Um, That's killer. 
Well, so maybe what we can do is, you know, not, not that we have to stay in chronological order, but maybe you can give us a sense of kind of what are you doing now? Because I think it'll expose kind of the delta between this quote unquote previous life of being in tech and working inside of an organization and, you know, blah, blah, blah with this, this like more contemporary version of you, which is, you know, certified coach and, and business owner. And, and maybe you can, you, you can skip a beat for a second and just tell us a little bit about your current reality. And through that process, we may be able to see kind of what, you know, the connective tissue between those two worlds. So my current reality is I am, um, I'm a coach. I'm an executive coach, a leadership coach, still working with leaders in organizations, usually leaders that are being kind of thrown, I like to say thrown into the deep end and learning to swim. I work with co-founders, I work with CTOs. I work, worked with, you know, heads of product, heads of design and yeah, helping them be impactful and stay aligned, right? Helping them not find their, you know, helping them avoid finding themselves in the hospital from burnout, helping them find those boundaries and learn how to protect them. I don't know. It's healing for me in a way to get to be in service of, of, of those folks. And the other part of my practice is, has sort of evolved in over time because after that year and I started, we started experimenting with working remotely and then we just never went back. You know, I like to say that we were sort of digital nomads before anybody had heard the term digital nomads. Um, which now is like blowing up, but, um, you know, have been splitting my time between here in Mexico, uh, I'm in Sayulita, Lisbon, Portugal, oftentimes wintering in Tahoe, and then most recently experimenting with winters elsewhere, such as Argentina and Switzerland. I love to snowboard. And so along the way, I've been sort of sharing that journey of figuring out how to work remotely, how to live in all these different places and all that comes with that. And so I've had, I was on the, on the chairlift one day and people say like, Oh, what do you do that you can be on the chairlift on a Wednesday, on a midday, on a Wednesday, you know? And so I was kind of telling my story in this, you know, left tech and traveling around the world. And, and this guy was like, wait, do you have like a card? Like how, can you teach me how to do that? How did you do that? And more and more people were kind of wanting support to create a transition, a big life, kind of blow up their life transition. That's like their version of the freedom that I have created for myself. And so um, it's been really fun that I get to work with those folks. And so I did some, uh, so I, I call that life design coaching. I, I heavily integrate um, design thinking principles. I worked with the guys at Stanford who wrote Designing Your Life and their, their methodology. And so that, so I have these two sides of my business and I had this, I had this sort of belief that like, I had to kind of pick one or the other and I've just decided that I don't have to do that and I get to do both. And so um, my practice is a mix of those two demographics and those two kind of groups of folks, which is perfect for me. And then I also run these retreats um, in May. Um, There's two coming up in May um, here in Sayulita, um, which as you said, it's a women's surf retreat uh, that combines like stepping on the edge of, your, edge of your comfort zone in the surf and connecting with nature and your body and yourself. And then surfing is by nature, a mindfulness practice, right? Like you have to stay really present. So you surf for a few hours in the morning and get really present and drop in. And then in the afternoon, we, um, I facilitate group coaching workshops where we do some, you know, introspection and sort of taking inventory and getting aligned and, um, calibrating. And so I do that from various Wi-Fi spots around the world. I'm in Mexico now. I'll be in Portugal in the fall. Hopefully, going to do some river trips in the summer. And yeah, that's a snapshot of what's happening right now. 
That's pretty cool. On those on the surfing retreat stuff, it's called Surf Your Soul, correct? Yes. And if somebody yeah. wanted to go find that, how do they do that? Surfyoursoulretreat.com. And then it's you and Risa. Tell us a little bit about because you you kind of co-founded that with with Risa. Yes. A bit more about yeah. She's super cool as well. My dear sister Risa, my friend. Risa grew up um, between New York and Mexico, and her background are. Our backgrounds are similar in that we met here in Zailita about, I don't know, nine years ago, but her background is similar in that she was in film and she was making music videos and was in the film industry. And so we shared the path of being in a, you know, a male dominated industry, always on, all go, like burnout, and then deciding that we wanted to live in Mexico and have a different pace of life. She had a, she had a lot of amazing things going on, but she has a surf school here called Surf It Out. And she also has a clothing line, a bathing suit line called Bell Curves. And we decided that we wanted to create a space for women, like us, almost like a, a version of ourselves, you know, that, that could step away from the busy, always on, most, most usually like worried about everybody else, not taking care of yourself and to make it, make, create a space where it's really all about them, where they feel super taken care of, don't have to worry about anything. It can just connect, can just be with themselves, connecting with other like-minded, badass women, connecting with nature, connecting with their bodies, connecting with their strength and their their capacity, um, and making some space to ask some big questions and to check in to sort of realign. And so that has been a gift of an experience. It truly feels like something I get to do. And we've been lucky that so many people, have, so many women have come back for second and third and fourth retreats that this year we're doing an alumni only week, which is super fun. We've never done that before. Um, so I get to um, build on uh, what their past experience have been. And then we're doing an, another week for, for non-alumni. So that's evolving. And uh, yeah, it's a, it feels really good. That's awesome. And, and kind of your container for your coaching and, and consulting practice, for lack of a better term, is Rebel X Labs, correct? Yeah. And so just, again, tell us a little bit more around, you know, how, how, how do people find you on that? And you, you, you kind of said what you're doing, but is there anything else specific to Rebel X Labs? Yeah, they can find me at rebelxlabs.com. And there's a, there's a little form there, connect form, um, if anybody wants to reach out and, and hop on a call and chat. I would love that. And yeah, that's, um, I'm doing one-on-one coaching. Um, I've, I've done some group programs. Um, I don't have any on the calendar right this moment, but you know, again, that's the umbrella for my executive coaching as well as my life design coaching. And what's in the hopper for, so we're in January of 2023. I know that you were just up in Tahoe and Colorado, um, doing some cool adventures you know, what's on the horizon for kind of the, the fun, outdoorsy travel activities? The year is shaping up to be a really good one. So I'm based here in Silita till June, with the exception of um, at least one ski trip. We're going to go up to Salt Lake next uh, month and do a week in Utah. I'm super excited about that. We have Epic or uh, Icon Passes this year. And then in June, I'm going to a family reunion with my mom in Germany. She, my mom and mother's German. My dad's Jamaican-American. She has had a family reunion going on like far longer than I've been alive. And I've only been to one and she made it very clear that it's important to her that I go with her. <laughs> yeah. She even like kind of banged on the table a little. I was like, this is important to me. I was like, I hear you. I see you. I'm coming. And so I'm doing that and I rallied all my, my favorite cousins. So that will be something new and exciting. And I'm excited to, my, I've been really working on my Spanish and my German is pretty good, but I'm excited to do like an immersive German two weeks um, with my family. 
And then this summer, I'm hoping we'll be in Colorado a bit. Um, I'm hoping there's going to be a river trip involved, still figuring out permits and such. And then back to Portugal in August, home basing in Lisbon and doing some exploring in the fall. And then I don't know what will, what will happen next winter. If what we've, we've had really bad luck like committing to one location for a winter. We seem to be the bad luck charm. Like We went to Bariloche, Argentina, and it was the worst winter in like 30 years. And we went to Switzerland. It was like the worst winter in 20, 15 years. I'm like, okay, we're just going <laughs> to... So we'll see what happens. This year's this year strategy is stay here, watch the snow, and do strike missions. And so we'll see if that strategy pans out with powder days. I actually think that's a great idea as opposed to like fully committing now to somewhere that you don't know what the weather patterns are going to do and maybe just be on, like you say, on that strike mission be like, dude, let's just go for a week because we know it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated. We'll see how it pans out. That is awesome, man. Well, you know, I wanted to do this for quite some time and I think that you've got such a cool story for a myriad of reasons, but it, it's it's awesome to kind of get to to relive some of it and, and hear it kind of firsthand. And I mean, you're you're doing such good work, Lise, and super proud of you. It's been really cool to see you on your, you know, we, we've used the word journey a lot, but like this professional journey and also kind of the, the, the personal journey and you and Eric are very inspiring in many ways, and I wish we got to spend more physical time with you guys. But you know, we'll, we will we will make that happen in Portugal, hopefully this fall. And looking forward to getting back down to Sayulita as well. This has been killer, man, and I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to doing it again. Maybe we can try this on for size again at the end of the year and see what kind of adventures you've gotten into. Oh, I would welcome it. I'd welcome it. Thank you. Thank you. That is awesome. Well, hey, have a fantastic day. We truly appreciate your time. Please say hello to Eric and the whole Sayulita contingent for us. I like half of my friends uh, from Colorado live in Sayulita at this point. So <laughs> that's <laughs> the truth. <laughs> Lucky me. Awesome. Well, hey, have a fantastic day. Thanks so much. Enjoy everything. And we'll connect really soon. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today on the Better, Faster, Further podcast. We're honored to have you here and to share these insights, stories, and best practices with you. 100% of our business comes from word of mouth. We focus on delivering a promise, building strong relationships with our clients, and then let the results speak for themselves. If you or someone in your network would benefit from speaking with us directly, please reach out. Our website is betterfasterfurther.com and we can be found on LinkedIn. Or you can email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We hope you join us on our next episode. And until then, stay positive. Keep working hard, and we'll see you on the flip side.